0: Welcome to Said. I'm your host Jane Dagmy, editor-in-chief of Designers today. Said covers the wonderful industry of interior design from various often eclectic angles. At its most literal, Said is the spoken complement to what's written in the pages of our magazine. Esoterically speaking, Said, S.A.I.D., stands for something about interior designers. In a nutshell, the podcast is devoted to the ongoing curiosity and admiration we have for these diverse, passionate, and often quirky individuals. SED celebrates the way they think, work, live, and define themselves. Enough said. Let's get into our show. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining the podcast. Today, my guest is interior designer, Laura Muller of Four Point Design Build based in Canoga Park, California. Laura and her husband Cliff founded their practice 10 years ago. I'd known about Laura for a year or two, spent a little bit in her company at KBiz this year, and listened to her on a panel at Las Vegas Market. But I didn't really get to feel her energy and conviction until we met one-on-one by Zoom. We were meeting to prep for a panel about designing for health. She was a panelist and I was moderator. What I loved about Laura... No, I mean, what I especially loved about Laura is her unpretentiousness. Wearing a black turtleneck, hair pulled back, and no makeup, she speaks from experience and from the heart, noble. Her hands are very expressive. Committed to her craft, she's smart, driven, centered, compassionate, and humble. Laura knows firsthand how design can change the trajectory of a human and of a family. She lived it. As a single mother of three whose kids all had special needs, she read and studied and learned how to manipulate their environment to beget happier children. She understands transformation and is a provider of it now. Laura said, It is very personal what we do, and it's very intimate, and it is, to the person who's paying for it, life-changing. This is no joke, people. This is the power of design. And this, my friends is badass designer, Laura Muller.
1: Hello. Hey, can you hear me okay? I can
0: hear you very well. Hey, beautiful. How are you? I'm good. It's so nice to see you. I feel like
1: I've- Staring at your face. <laughs> online. I know. Don't we love social media? Like what What we think we know, what we don't know, and, and, and you know, what I, I'd like to know, right? I, it's really nice to have a one-on-one conversation with you.
0: Okay. So,
1: Laura, where, where are you in the world? I know you're California. What part? I'm in Los Angeles, actually in the Valley. I am an original Valley girl, for real. Um, born and raised, born... Um, Angelino and uh, my my design studio is close to home, uh, and it's in Canoga Park.
2: So I feel like um, with COVID, I
0: want to first just kind of feel out how it's been for you. Um, I feel like we went through our sort of first shock of it, and then just when we felt like maybe we were coming out again, it's now you know where you are is very bad. So very what's it like to be an interior designer? in Los
2: Angeles these days?
1: Oh gosh, it was a great question. It's a bit, um, I would have to say at the onset of all of this, we all went into this wonderful survival, you know, we're going to get through this together. It would be, it was almost in a, in an odd kind of cryptic way, romantic, because people were reaching out to one another. We've got this, it was tragic, but we, our communities came together and everything kind of stopped. And as creatives in the interior design world, being at home, there was a, a tremendous immediate buzz that went right for the homeowner jugular and in the best way, which was, we can help. So we all kicked into how do we blog working at home? How do we blog? And, and uh, my blog has been, I don't know how, I don't know why, but it's like a million, million clicks on this one, because I talked about not how to buy the tray from Amazon, but basically how do you get your kids to stop talking when you're on the phone? So my blog post kind of came from a mom of four working at home. And, uh, and that was where we used our facilities and we used our
2: creativity to, uh, keep the ball rolling, so to speak. When it started about Three or four weeks
1: into it, when it began to be like, no, this is real, who gets locked down, who doesn't, in California and Los Angeles, construction was essential business. So for us, it was clients going, hey, I just read the mandate, I heard Newsom, it's okay to keep working. And we have four projects in mid-construction, four they we're building two new homes and we had two commercial TIs. that are going on at the moment. So even though we took obvious precautions, work has not stopped. And mm-hmm. we thought, and I loved no traffic. Hello, LA. Gorgeous. <laughs> I was like, let's drive downtown today. I've got an errand to run. That was like, but to be quite honest, it, it was short-lived and loved. But now as it started to, to, people are getting very edgy. The atmosphere in Los Angeles is palpable. It's edgy. There's a lot of anxiety, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of people going, okay, we passed through the four stages of grief. Now, when are we going to be over this? And I think that people are starting to get crazy tense. So in that
2: need to relieve themselves, they're either remodeling their homes or they're shopping or they're out of the streets you know defying gravity you know they're out there without a mask
1: fuck this it doesn't matter we got this you can't tell me what to do so there's a lot of movement happening in LA that is very real so for us we've never been busier we were slammed we're signing two new remodel projects just knock it down and rebuild a new one and uh, you know knock on wood thank you Jesus it's been crazy i used to watch the social media like oh my god does anybody have a good netflix to binge i haven't and i'm like oh my god are you kidding me what i would give for three days in netflix right not not a minute because i also have a mother that lives with us we've taken her in and i have to be very careful so there's a lot of there's just a lot of organizing and mindfulness and this, and and yet it's very chaotic and very still at the same time. So in LA, business is booming. If you're in design build, if you're in a project where it's in mid construction, um, I think a lot of families are easing up and letting the design team kind of come in and do a few things as long as we follow the social distancing rules. I think that, uh, yeah, but I mean, I'm over it. I mean, I'm getting, I'm really over it at this point. But I also um, am adamant about, you know, wear your mask, do your part, protect your communities, shop local, keep small businesses going as often as you can. And just let's just hang on until it's over. And okay. it doesn't look like it's going to be immediate.
2: Right. It, it looked
0: like it was going to be over. Now, back, back here we are. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, punchy. And in your office, um, do you, are there other people in your office with you? Is Cliff with you or, you know?
1: Cliff's here. He sits right there. Um, I've got an employee that was out for almost six weeks and I had only hired her two weeks before that. I had a new general manager. And she uh, started, and then we hit the COVID, and then we just everybody kind of went. Oh, let's not take any chances, right? So we worked from home remotely. We got to know Zoom, which I love. Um, Do you think it was
0: yeah. just as as easy or as seamless to train somebody new through Zoom as it would have been side by side? Or
1: no, not in my business. In my business, it's hands-on. In my business, it's it's nuance. It's there's so many moving parts that. Um, you know, to sit down and train somebody on a Zoom sharing the screen and trying to show them and the binder. We're still pretty old-fashioned. We have paper and binders. We try to be mindful, but, you know, you've got receipts, you've got paper trails, you've got a lot of of moving parts. And when we had, you know, we had at the moment at that time, we had 10 projects and it was a lot. And so we just... I onboarded her as best I could, but she's been now here for the six weeks. This is the sixth week. And it's like night and day. It's like the conversations that we have with clients, she sits in on and then, oh, now I get it. And the pieces kind of gel um, in person where they just can't. It's not the same. How long has Four Point
2: Design Build been around? When did you launch your company? Oh, gosh, we
1: launched the company in 2010 officially.
2: So 10 um, years.
1: 10 years, yep, this year. Um, we had both been working independently, Cliff and I, um, um, me as an interior designer and him as a, a general contractor and his construction manager um, before that. So when we met, um, we started working together. We met at uh, UCLA, um, they met in school we met in school and then um, we started working together. He hired me on a couple of restaurant projects to design a couple of restaurants, which we were, we didn't very exciting and successful, learned a lot. Um, And then the romantic, it turned into a nice deep friendship and then it turned romantic and we were both single parents. Um, He had a son and I had three Um, and it, it, it just worked out. And so we started, our projects were really, terrific working together in design build. Um, It was like the perfect storm, perfect answer. And then uh, we got married and solidified the corporation in 2010. So
0: So just, you know, I think I know what it is. I act like I know what it is, but I want to hear it from you. When you you say you are a design
2: build firm, Mm -hmm. what is a design build firm? Well,
1: years ago, design build had, it's more of a, a of an approach, a system procedurally, um, how you approach a, a project holistically. Typically in the past, design build was where you, a general contractor or a builder would outsource the interior designer, the architect, the engineers, and uh, give that project um, a construction cost, a general construction cost which typically is what homeowners and consumers assume that that is the, still the way it is. Today's design build term is conceptually similar. However, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, even more holistic because you're all, all integrated at the first meeting. We design build for us is one voice. Uh, we're an advocate for the consumer. We outsource or in we have in-house architecture. We have in-house engineering. We also can outsource depending on the size and the scope of the project. But then the design, then the, then the homeowner or the owner or the client is working with us uniquely. And it we actually facilitate all of the parallels that work in the project, the architectural, the engineering, the construction, the interior design. So when we approach a project, I'm approaching it as where do I want to put that piece of art right away? Where, how big is that sofa going to be? Let's move the wall four inches. We can get a 10 foot in here. You know, we have to have a path of travel. And so all of those things are being at the first, they're bubbling on the first meeting. Whereas typically design build of the past was design. uh, It was build with a bonus. And typically you would have the architect vertical and the, and contractor vertical, and somewhere over here was the interior designer. What's happening in interior design over the years with legislation, especially in particular in our country and in California, which we can't seem to pass, but um, there is this need for legitimacy and value for the interior designer as more than just a decorator. Now, that's not to say that you uh, aren't qualified as a decorator. But in our case, and in today's and the future version of design build, I am qualified to speak architecturally. I'm qualified to speak construction language. I'm qualified as a project manager. And I'm also going to go to the workroom and make sure that the pleats on your window treatments are perfect. So, my contractor, who I get to sleep with, he also knows me. So now we've got him reporting to the, 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 the design vertical and the architect of which we have in-house, depending on the size of the scope, if we pull in someone into our team that is solely the architect, he already knows he's going to have to answer holistically. So that's the difference in today's design build. But it is a hell of a responsibility because you cannot blame because it's all one entity one sphere dealing with the client of equal value. So every player has equal value from the get-go. I will, in my step one of first investigating a property, I have my tile guy, I have my grading guy, I've got my soils guy, I've got my exterior fence and landscaping guy, I've got my framer and my drywaller, all there for a walkthrough. Wow. because we're going to be talk, we're going to be talking about this project for eighteen months
2: mm-hmm.
1: I need your insight before I put my pen to paper to design it. That architect needs to know which way those joists are. so get up there and tell me what our framing options are. you know those are it saves the client so much time, so much money it's it's an incredible opportunity to control
2: a project It's just a whole lot of responsibility for one little firm Mm -hmm. but you know it it is a lot but if you're a control freak it's
1: uh it's a great thing yeah and I think that the clients are really like it better because they're not managing four entities they're not managing the architect over here and then the, the contractor over here and there's no infighting Right. There's no contract. The the owners come to you and say, well, the designer said this, and then the contractor said that, and the architect wants it this way. And the landscaper says he needs to start Tuesday. Oh, my God, who's managing this? Then you've got to hire a project manager anyway. Now you're paying four markups plus a project manager. It's so much easier to just streamline that project, get it transparent, work together. It's a lot easier. And so that's the the approach. Right. Everybody does the same job.
0: And I'm sure that you know there are times when that's quite like you said. I mean, it's it's um, it has its challenges. But do you work uh, like the your subs and everything? Are are these people that you've worked with for years that you trust? Mm-hmm. And I mean, some might be better for a particular job than another. But these are people like your family. Do they become
1: sort of hundred percent, hundred percent, and they know now that if that screw doesn't match the finish, I'm going to make them tear it out. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, they do it right the first time. So now at this point, it's like a well-oiled kind of cool machine. That's I don't even and the babysitting is minimal, you know. Uh, and I don't have to work with. Um, they, they all know what the expectations are. That you know, it's 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 a beautiful thing to see a project come together yeah. and to look at a photograph and say, you know, this kitchen design, and know that you know what's behind the wall. that You did the electrical. You did the wiring. You fixed the rat problem while you were there. You know, and then you look at the cabinetry and the stone and then the finishes. And then you put the pretty flowers out there and you look at that kitchen, and you go. That's my design. And when I look at it on the Instagram, it's it's not it feels really good to know that. um, That work that there's we did that work.
2: Laura, did you
0: always know that you wanted to do something in the interior design and home realm, you know?
2: Or did you start off
1: wanting to be an accountant?
2: No, no, no. Never.
1: A, I failed geometry in high school. Okay. Um, the, um, which surprises me because I'm, I can see when something's off at 16th of an inch. Um, I had always built with my father. My grandfather was a furniture maker. My father had a wood shop in the garage. I was always, my father never said no. It was always, hey, let's build a ticket booth. And he'd say, okay, go draw it. And I would go in. And, I mean, this is three, four, five years old. I would draw pencil paper with my crayons, of which I still have some of these drawings. They're very meaningful. It's funny. but I would love to see them. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, I should post them. Um, and, I, and he'd say, OK, so this is where you want the wall. So it's about this, this height. And he'd say, OK, write down 36 inches. You know, and this is how you write it. And then we would build it. I'd put my dad's big old work shirt on. and we'd get, he'd, I'd paint it. He made me do the work. Mm -hmm. and um, put the hinges on. I remember it, we made a store on one side and then it was a puppet theater on the other. And we just built it in. In those days, there was no distraction. There was no cell phone or computer or TV. You know, you'd go outside and eat a pound of dirt and come home when the lights went on in the street. So it's, uh, it was a different world. And I, 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 it was just, I'm still blessed to have had that opportunity with my dad to, Build anything. Say you can build anything you want. You do anything you want. You just got to write down a plan. So planning for me was always part of it. And then I got into theater, um, and I was kind of raised by the theater groups. Um, My mom was uh, was an actress, theater actress, and I kind of was raised on the boards. So between the construction and the theater, and I don't know if you know this, but when you're raised in the theater, you're not lazy. You hang the lights, you build the costumes, you sweep the floors, you sit, work the ticket booth. That's summer stock. Mm-hmm. So every year from the time I was five, six years old, I was doing theater work, you know, paying your dues just to be around the crazies, you know. Um, and eventually I started doing set design and set lighting and and uh, grew up in it. And I kind of never left film, television and theater and ended up... Um, doing a couple of road shows. Um, one of them was a goal, bucket list goal. I was uh, did the Revival Road Company with Evita and I did a, a stint as Ava, which um, was thrilling. And then I got pregnant and had three kids with special needs and I was a single mom by the time they were four. And so for me, crafting, being a scrappy, doing things for myself, you know, um, was always part of the mentality. It was never, Oh my God, what am I going to do? It was like, okay, what am I going to do? And, and that facility of, of, of all of that upbringing and all of those voices in my head enabled me to work four jobs and make sure that the kids had their education. And then, um, it became too exhausting at one point and I sold everything Kept the kids, bought a car because I thought we were going to have to live in it. I bought a big, big, big van, Honda. Um, and fortunately, my mom said, no, no, my grandchildren, are not alone. in mean, the van. come home. And I took my money and I went to UCLA. And of course, that's where I met Cliff. So for me, always knowing that um, it was the perfect way for me to, uh, to legitimize and quantify all this scrappy experience was to go and get, you know, my, my, my degree. And um, then got connected with ASID and interior design was just the perfect storm, but I always wanted to build stuff. And when I met Cliff as a general contractor, it was like, all right, all the resiliency that I had to go through with being a single mom, God said, okay, I'm going to give you Cliff give you a little design business, be a good person.
2: <laughs> and that's, that's it. That's, that's, that's the story. But how old are your kids now?
1: My twin daughters are 28 and a half. And uh, our sons, uh, we have Cliff had a son, he was a single dad. And I had a son and they're 30. They're two weeks apart.
0: What were their special needs? Um, you know, at that time, I'm thinking, well, they're 28, 30, so this is what, what was going on. And, um,
1: yeah, if you it's did, the, if you it's the, I have no problem. It's yeah. the invisible special needs. My son had, um, ADHD and Tourette's syndrome. So his, and, and,
2: and, and some borderline OCD. So his, um, his needs were A lot of
1: attention and I had to learn and this is where I want to get with the happiness because I had to learn and read because there was nothing out there for a mom Uh, there was one book called Tiger Mom for ADHD kids and it was non-specific so I started reading books about the brain um, to help him and uh we we toughed it out. Now he's a very successful place 12 instruments, full ride to Berkeley College in Music, and now he's an engineer with Sony. My twins um have suffered from uh, debilitating
2: uh, anxiety. And my one daughter has um pretty marked depression. So how that looks when they're little is, you know,
1: different than visible special needs but they in, in no way is it not a special need because I had to learn to reorganize the house I had to learn about different paint colors I had to learn about different finishes and materials and carpet fibers and and tags in t-shirts and and you know different sleep patterns and you know my kid needed to start his homework at eleven thirty at night because that's that's when his brain focused to get came together, right? Mm-hmm. And, he, and he's still to this day, which is perfect because he's in the studio all hours of the night and that's when his magic happens. But, you know, I couldn't imagine if I was the kind of mom that said, no, you have to do it this way. And I mean, Jane, to be quite honest and be quite intimate with you, they're alive. And I know that there are moms That would give anything to have the kids sitting at the dinner table. So, because it's not quantified as a special need, but let me tell you what I learned and what I was able to put my hands because of whatever reason I said, I don't care what the world says, you know, don't compare yourself. Don't do that to yourself. And I read everything and I got my daughter help and she's thriving. I drove her to the hospital and said, give my daughter the shot. Remember that line? Oh, my God, my favorite movie, Terms of Sermon. Okay, that was me at the hospital. Give my daughter. I'm not going to be a statistic. We need help, please. She looked at me one day. She says, Mom, I'm so tired. And I could see it. I swooped her up, and I took her over. And the miracle gates opened. And in two years, I learned so much about, you know, dbt skills and biofeedback and the brain and then i put that into my design work and now i'm helping moms with kids redesigning their homes for those kinds of special needs it's it's very real
2: it's very here and we really need to deal with it how did you come to be known or you know
0: Are you known as like, you know, a designer who really listens and um, can work with families with special needs? Like, is that your
2: niche or how do you?
1: You know, it it comes to me. Sometimes it just happens where I, you know, I think, too, (laughs) it's funny, the past four clients I've had. When you finally sit down and really do that first investigative discussion, and you know, open a bottle of wine with your clients, get to it—the meat and potatoes. Every client has a a son or a daughter that's dealing with anxiety or depression or some sort of challenge. Every single one. I'm like, what are we waiting for? Let's—that has to be integrated into our formula, into our solution. So as if I'm known for it, I'm not I'm starting to become a little bit more, I don't want to say confident because I'm pretty confident, but I think I'm more confident socially these days to be able to kind of step in to my light a little bit. I mean, I'm an old gal, I mean, and I'm just finding that it's okay to say, you know, I'm kind of good at this. Mm-hmm. And it's it's new for me because God sends me things that I'm supposed to deal with. I've never experienced anything different. So for me, advertising on a specialist is something I just don't do. But after the first two hours of a conversation with my clients, I'm realizing that you too, you too, here's what I did. What are you doing? Soothe each other. And we're women. We have to come together and we have to reach out. We have to see the barriers. Someone's always stronger in the in the twosome at one point or another. And if you do have the stronger side at the moment, and you see the mask or the barrier, hey, reach in, say it, you're safe. Here's what I know. And then, oh, you too. Is it? It's okay to drop my guard. Their body language changes. They're like, my son. What am I going to do? I'm like, okay, we're going to take the color blue out of the room. Um, and I now I consult, but I don't. I don't advertise. I probably should. <laughs> Well, I think it's
0: a little bit like what we were emailing with each other the other day. You know, I was stalking you on social media, and <laughs> I could have stayed with your social media for forever because I just it's beautifully written, it' beautiful photographs, Thank and I you. think that when you put your just who you are and um out there, you know, no pretense, people. You know, whatever pick up on it. So, you know, know, there's no advertising. It's just being who you are
2: and and putting what you've done out there. So, it's there is a there is a there was a hoop or two to jump through to to
1: understand what I want to say through social media Mm -hmm. because you know when I first started, oh my god, years ago, I would it would take me three days to do a Facebook post because. I had to process it. I had to, it had
2: to be right. It had to fit in. And, you know, if now I'm to the point where, you know what? I don't, it, it, I'm just going to put it out there. And that, it feels kind of cool. <laughs> and it kind of feels cool to be there.
0: Do you, it took a while. Is that your domain? I mean, do you do social? Are you the social
2: diva I for do, your
1: company? Uh, yeah. I, I'm the chief head marketer. Chief, you know why? Because um, it's, it is important that it resonates. It's resonating with you because you're feeling something that's authentic. And I would never trade in my authenticity for profit. Mm. I I, I can't, I don't have 10,000 followers. I don't have the swipe up. I'm trying. It's cool. I would like it, but,
2: you know, not at the expense of trading in something that felt, um, just, unnatural yeah so i i i kind of i I do all my own social media and i
1: do all my own marketing and the blogs are great too you know thank you you're
0: yeah thank you that's a thought i was reading something on your social media okay and i just i love this um it was a picture of you at your desk and i i might not have quoted it verbatim but basically um you wrote um, you have to make time to put pen to paper. This is your way of getting inspired, getting clear, connecting the dots, scheduling time for that. And I like love that because, um, well, because I don't do it. You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't do it enough. And I was like, yeah. yes, I should be good to myself.
1: And yeah, like, what a treat that time is, right? When you actually, it's the purest gift we have. It's really the only, it's only best gift that we have that we can give somebody else and that we can give to ourselves is time. Time is so precious. And we're always the bottom of the barrel. As moms too, we're notorious for putting ourselves last. Um, but the idea that giving yourself time is, um, you, have, you have to turn it around and see yourself as having a value. hmm Right, you know, and it's not always possible. Let's be realistic. We're badass women out there working ten times harder than than some, and we're trying to make ends meet and get our ideas out there. And sometimes self care just is not that easy. It's like not, and, but I forgive myself. Forgiveness is a really important mm-hmm. thing. So I don't take a shower and wash my hair all every time. You know, my I have some roots, which is why my hair is back. You know, but prioritize, prioritize your day. For me, the most important thing is, well, when I'm at work, to honor my clients, honor my clients' investment. And the only way we can honor their investment is by doing the best job I can. And regardless of what the result is for me, I am in a, we are in a business of service. That's my calling. So. At that point, it isn't about me, it's about them. So finding time to make it about me is sometimes a conflict. But I realize if I don't, my client suffers.
0: Hello, dear listeners. I wanted to take a little break here to relay the good news that planning for our second online designer experience is now underway. So, mark your calendars for Thursday, September 24th. The Designer Experience, for those who have never attended, is an interior design community gathering with presentations, discussions, and tours that combines practical business advice and exercises with design education and inspiration. Back in the old days, we hosted these two-and-a-half-day forums in person. Today, we deliver the same high-grade content by Zoom coupled with that DT dose of heart and soul that goes into everything we do. Go to designerstoday.com to the events tab and click on designer experience to learn more. What, are you a night owl or do you do you go to bed? Do you have, you know, um, r- good rituals and do you get eight hours of sleep or <laughs>
1: Oh man, wasn't that be delicious? I wish I could get eight hours sleep without a Tylenol PM. Um, I my brain wakes up the minute I lay down. My brain does not stop all night long, so it is very important that I reconcile my day before I go to sleep. If I don't, I'm. It's almost like a panic attack all night long. Like. Oh, did I did that. Oh, did I did. And they so how do you do that
2: before you go? How, how do, do I do reconcile?
1: Um, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I've learned, and I've only been practicing this probably really dis- with discipline for about the last two years. But it's about what you said. I stop. I give myself permission, no matter what, to stop and have a moment of reconciliation. So. With instead of working till 10 o'clock at night, because I have this, I stop at six and I figure out the next day how to be more productive. Because knowing that I am off at six and I'm home with my family and I'm having a glass of wine outside in the backyard, and I've given my marriage a little time, I've given my family a little time, I go to sleep a little bit, that's that part of that reconciliation. And I'm responsible for being better the next day because of it. So it has by taking by I didn't wait to do time management. I set myself up to have to do time management because that's the way my brain works. I'm more of a work under threat kind of gal. So I gave myself a threat. I'm going home at six o'clock. You're done. Mm. You're gonna go home and you're gonna turn your phone off and you're gonna sit with your feet up and you're gonna be part of the family. And the minute I started doing that, I realized how counter, how, how much productivity I was sacrificing during the day, because in my mind, I thought I would get to it later.
2: Right. Ooh, so I that, like discipline,
1: that. that that was not okay with me anymore. Yeah. I, endless hours and endless checking in. And if my client calls me on a Sunday, I'll talk to you tomorrow. If my client calls me at 10 o'clock at night, eight o'clock at night, I'll talk to you tomorrow. That's my rule, but I put the rule in place before I had the time management down. So I honored myself first and it was awkward and hard. And I felt pulled for a while. And I said, that's it. I'm gonna just leave. I'm gonna put shit down and I'm gonna I'm gonna go home.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And before you knew it, I knew it was almost like I had my own I was my own boss. And I said, no, 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 you, you got to clock out and go home at six o'clock. You better get busy during the day. And I was, I found that shortly, well, it took a few months. And out of that is where the pen to paper came from. Because I knew that I needed to make time in that day for my productivity because it wasn't going to happen on the weekends. It wasn't going to happen at 10 o'clock at night anymore. I had to work that into my day. And when I gave myself the threat of lights out at six o'clock, it helped. And over time, I learned that now I'm up at five and I'm not a big working out. I don't do my workout. I don't go to the gym. No, I'm going to, what I, do you do at five? I'm up and I have coffee. Don't talk to me. It's like no talking. And I check my social media. That's my morning. And I do it for about anywhere from a half an hour to an hour because I can set my posts up for the day. I can check in and engage You know, I have a lot of really wonderful designer friends out there that are doing fabulous things. I want to root them on and make sure that I'm connected. I read a couple of articles. I read my Bible for about 15 minutes. I check in with my verses of the day. I do some, you know, breathing. I'm on my second cup of coffee. And then I can, and then I'm good. Mm -hmm. And that's my sacred time. And everybody knows, don't talk to me. Right. It's it's non-sacrificable because that's my my time. So yeah, that's that's my ritual, and I don't wear makeup, and so I don't have a lot of night routines. I use coconut oil. Me too. And soap and water. I I think we have the same
0: beauty regimen. Yes. (laughs) It's like
1: yeah. vitamin E or coconut, coconut coconut oil on my body, vitamin E right. on my face. Vitamin e on the face. That's and it. Soap and water. I wash yeah. my hair once a week because it's so thick. I mean, if I took it down, it would be like this. Um, you know, easy life priorities. I don't want to get caught up into that. I don't. I, every now and then, you know, I hate going getting dressed up and going out. I'm just uh, not much of a stylist, but I do love fashion. I really do. And I love building costumes and I love that. But for mm-hmm. me, it's like, give me my blue jeans and tennies and I'm good to go.
0: I want to talk to you about what it's like to engage with a brand. So I started going to KBiz two years ago. It was my first KBiz. I always wanted to go and it's overwhelming for me. But one thing that was yeah, interesting, what's that? What'd you say?
1: It's massive.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, I was always in the design world, more on the furniture end and, and not the mm-hmm. not the kitchen and bath and architectural. So, but I did notice all these brands had these design designer councils and groups that they would mm-hmm. go with. So um, you're tapped in, plugged into this, this part of the business so deeply. And I'd love to find out
2: a little bit about how you got involved with monogram, GE monogram. Well. I think it, when um, they reached out because I was not
1: specifying their product and there was no place here in Southern California that had a showroom that specified their product. So it was pretty hard to take a client and say, well, it looks really great, doesn't it? And, and trust me, it feels great. And, the, and the, the swing on the arm is really nice and firm. It just doesn't fly. They need to touch it. They need to smell it. They need to feel it. They need to kiss it. And then they'll buy it. So there was nothing out here, really. So when they called me as a service rep would and say, I'd like to come in and kind of show you our new line of monogram, I said, come on in. And from that moment on, that spark working with Elise, who I, I fondly called Tinkerbell, um, really inspired me to want to understand more about monogram. She came in, she did a beautiful presentation in the studio. Uh, we got to talking. Then we started talking about recipes and vegan diet over this and that. And she was here, was supposed to be here for a 45-minute presentation. She left four hours later. We called for pizza. It was lovely. So her investment in me and my company and the care and feeding of my um, business spirit was impactful. And from then on, they, she enjoyed it as much, apparently, and told Monogram, you need to go and ask her about the new logo stuff. Um, and then they were doing this kind of... Um, west coast tour where they were going to kind of drop in on a few designers and interview them was
0: was this new for them to reach out to designers like it was like this is you know
2: okay Mm
1: -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. it was new and I think the trend back then with the success of of DXV you'd have to be you know not aware at all basically to not kind of um, as a designer, to not see what some of those brands were doing, like SKS, pulling people to Napa. You know, Ferguson started taking me all over the place. They took me to Las Vegas. I've been to San Francisco. I've been to this place, Texas, Boston. More and more these days, they're being designed with, with um, yeah, I think, with more longevity, meaning they're making not just a uh, uh, come and learn about the product and we hope we feed you well enough and you love the, the the four-star treatment that you'll specify the product. Now they're creating a little bit more of a dynamic relationship. So there's follow-up now, you know, and, and it's kind of, there's a lot more collaboration. It's not just, oh, I got to go, they flew me out to Sub-Zero for two days and I toured the factory. Um, now that is becoming... Um, they'll follow up with me at Ferguson. I'll get Carrie to come in from Sub-Zero and she'll come to the office and, say, hey, listen, we're having an event. Would you come and speak? And the, So there's follow-up happening now where I, that wasn't necessarily, they were just trying to bring a kind of herding designers in um, to get their products in front of them because they did understand that that was their boots to the ground sales team. Right. Right. But now it's very, um, it's, I think it's very designer centric right now. The, the kitchen and bath industry more so than it was three to five years ago. And I think DXV did a great job. And I think that because they changed the trajectory of the one-time visit into a year-long opportunity to change the course of your business. Literally being a part of the design panel changed my business. How so? What, what do you... Um, my work was in Vanity Fair, The New Yorker, The New York Times, Metropolis, um, Arc Digest. My work, I designed it. I thought it. I sweat about it. I dreamt about it. They built it. I came and approved it. We filmed it. We shot it. They interviewed me. They made a video. And then they placed it in these national ma- magazines. They were proud. They put my name on it. It wasn't a gift anymore. It was a collaboration. It was a partnership. And still to this day, I get texts and emails from the team. And it was one of the finest, most exceptional brand collaborations I have ever been a part of.
0: I'm going to go back now and see some of the DXV collaborations that I might have missed. I'll go Google some of that. Um, So, yeah. I mean, it seems whenever I go to, again, the tw- two times that I've been to KBiz, you know, it's like there's this, these groups of designers that are just like so plugged in. I-
1: Veronica, does, Veronica does a great job of developing brand collaborations through their, her design house. So yeah. her tours actually are set up where it's, it's kind of a highly sought after position to go. The brands come together, anywhere from seven to 10 brands will come together and pay for the designers, a team of designers. Last time, I think there was 15 or 20 designers. um, They they fly them to either, I've been to both um Orlando and Vegas with the design hounds. And they and she does an extraordinary job of really pulling brands and designers together um, equally. So there's this kind of um they're equally vetted for potential. Um, And then the rest is up to you. It's like a wonderful introduction. And then they put you in a room together to socialize. And so it's another layer of relationship that she forces you to have and by these beautiful dinners and these opportunities. And then even the, to this day, you know, the brands that are, are no joke, they're no joke who you go on the, these tours. You, know, you have the SKS, you have the, um, the Thermador, the Compact, which is phenomenal. Um, you've had uh, Mitri and you've had, you know, Control 4. And you it's an intense learning at the same time. So you're peeling back the layers. You're talking with the president, the vice president, the corporate headquarters, your sales rep, your guy from your, that's going to follow up with you when you get home from Vegas and make sure that you have the supplies you need. How could you, I mean, you could never get that kind of opportunity milling through that massive showroom, yeah. you know, that, that it's like overwhelming. And everybody's coming at you. But she puts together this wonderful, diverse group of brands and designers. Everybody's learning from each other. And it's really like high school. It's like there's a big, giant design hounds alumni. Um, I wrote a post about it. I'm such a big fan of what Veronica is trying to accomplish and her efforts that she makes um, uh, for designers and brands. And She really has done a masterful job. And I don't see anyone doing what she does. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's a special person for sure. Yeah. She well, she, she makes it easy. Energy. Yeah, she does. She's phenomenal. Yeah. And uh, she makes it very easy for designers to enter. So if you're a newbie, you know, you can enter um, uh, by meeting these brands. And some of the first brands I met coming into this business, I still use today because of the way they treated me. In that first experience, mm-hmm. either when I was a student or when I first joined ASID, these are, these are important relationships. Very, very important. I can't do anything without them. Right. You right. know, and, and it is personal. Jane, it is very personal what we do and it's very intimate. And, um,
2: it, it, it's, a, it's, it is to the person who's paying for it, life-changing the design work. And if you can,
1: I've gotten letters from moms that said, I don't believe it. My kid came home this week, letter from the principal, she's in the 98th percentile. They were going to put her in another school. And because we used some of the principles for autism in designing her new bedroom and crying that this can, this is life changing for a lot of people. And for people that save up hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to do something and invest in somebody, you got to be cracking on your job. You know, this is a big blessing for a lot of people. I mean, it's not, not a joke, you know, and um, it is very exciting. So when Veronica says here, I'm going to make your life and your business better, that's incredible. And that's the, that's the beauty of brand collaborations and plant brand partnerships. It's not about being an influencer and getting paid for a post. That's great. Nobody's going to turn that down, but, it goes deeper than that. You know, it's understanding the, the, that company's philosophy and listening to why they want my business and what can we do together. And that's what brand partnerships
2: mean. Laura,
0: in an email that you wrote to me, you talked about designing for happiness. Before we go, can you explain what you mean?
1: There is a lot of data, Jane, a lot of data that's coming out, percentages, proofs, um, statistics that break down um, the health in our home, it, it, it's the brain. The brain is registering and s- emitting chemicals and, and, and enzymes and, and choices. And, and uh, you can either be toxic anxiety or you can be toxic joy or you can be happy joy. But it is, it's a very real thing. Happiness. It's a very real thing to design and understand what makes us happy. Is it comfort? Is it security? Is it, you know, is it um, it, one of the, uh, you'd be surprised that the, it is pride. Pride is 44%, 35,000, up to 35,000 people were interviewed um, uh, very intensely. And it proves that 44%, pride was the biggest percentage of what makes people happy, which is what drives design, what drives the interior design business. Then there's security. Then there's, um, it's not about color psychology. It's about what makes us happy. And then understanding what makes us happy, finding a way to design that.
0: What do you mean by pride?
1: I've been studying the homeless. It's one of my passions for many, many years. And um, in particular, youth homelessness. And in, in, there's something that's very, there's a common denominator when you are homeless and it is pride. It is based on creating a home. So they will lay out all of their things, all of their cans and bottles and their extra shoes or whatever they have and their their paper from their taco. Whatever it is, they'll lay it out in a presentational fashion. They'll mm-hmm. tweak it. And this happens no matter what. And... Most common, anyway, um, and they'll set it all out. And then, what are they doing in that moment? They are creating a sense of pride—not self pride, not boast pride—but not they are mirroring themselves in the physical sense in a way. So when we go into our homes, when we clean it and we clean our drawers out and we got all our bras lined up nice and neat, <sighs> right? There's this sense of, ah, that's the pride we're talking about. That sense of, okay, I'm okay. It's it's, It's all bundled up into feeling joyful about one's self. It isn't boastfulness or ego or arrogant pride. It's more about pride and joy. Like it's just a matter of presenting yourself in a way that reflects something that makes you feel happy. So when we're And sometimes we don't know that it's not giving us good health. Sometimes just the way a door opens in the wrong direction can give us enough anxiety in a day to create enough of a distraction that your brain is not emitting the right amount of dopamine or the right amount of serotonin. And the brain is directly connected to our physical health. So those little things in the design sense, when we understand them, are the questions we need to ask our clients when we go in to begin a project, what makes you happy isn't like, oh my God, my kids make me happy, or, or chocolate cake makes me, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about almost as if what creates anxiety for you, what makes you feel happy? And then pride is the word that they kind of the umbrella of the category. When, when you
0: talked about, you know, pre- presentation and bras mm-hmm. in, in order, you know, there's, <laughs> there's
2: the sense of order, but there's the sense yeah. of order
0: and um, that I know when, when my things feel in order, like even making a stack of my notebooks at the end of the night before I go to bed.
1: So when I come back down the next day to my office, it looks
2: clean and makes me happy. Okay, so that
1: makes you happy, but that could be under the umbrella of pride because it's not the pride that by definition, it's more of like, that is a reflection of your order that makes you feel good about, you've taken that step to stack up your books just right so that when you come down, it's an intentional step to make you feel good about yourself. Makes you feel proud of yourself. Proud of yourself is not the same as pride. Right right they're all different but under the umbrella all the different mm-hmm. definitions all the different descriptions of what's making that study in that within that study what people are saying about how it makes them feel they've categorized it as pride feeling good about your surroundings
2: mm-hmm.
1: how do we do that how do we manifest that in design when we go into especially in kitchens right so we have to look at what makes that person happy? Because when that person is in their home and it's, it's orderly, right,
2: it changes things. When I take a whole Sunday and clean my drawers out, oh. Monday is a better day, 100%. For sure. So, so
1: that philosophy of order that you know, you and I share, how exciting that is for us. Order and, and cleanliness. Right. But it's releasing certain chemicals in the brain that make us smile, that make us giddy, that make us like, oh my God, can you believe I'm so happy about my bras being in the same row? I mean, it's happy. You and I are happy talking about that. So capturing that is important. And I think that's what I mean when I say happy design, you know, designing, because it you could have biophilic walls and green walls and lots of daylight. Those are definitely important when you're creating a space for well-being but all of that and you're not happy so you got to touch on that as the sixth sense you know you got to you got to look at the happy the happiness and we and know I,
2: happy people live longer you know i mean
1: I 100% yeah 100% yeah. and it's not necessarily quantified by cost or value right even to many people's surprise you know to many people who are are potentially spending billions of dollars what's really making them happy is what you and I are talking about i just want to be able to have my slacks in this in the order here i just right. need to have my closet and they've spent 300 million on their house what's really most important to them is that their closet is here this way so it Fascinating. Isn't a, it isn't an 800 billion dollar house it's that closet with those
2: jeans in that order this has been a pleasure thank you thank you for your time really i'm so happy good nice to finally talk to a real a real human yeah yeah yeah. totally yeah all right you and i
1: have a lot more in common than i than i even thought before totally um
0: i will see you tomorrow okay i'll be there
1: okay have a good night all right Bye. bye
0: Thanks so much for listening to said. I sincerely hope you got something of value from the podcast that feeds your brain and fills your heart. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you're in the interior design trade and related industries and would like to sign up for a complimentary subscription to the printed or digital magazine, visit designerstoday.com right now and sign up. Until next time.